Welcome back to the Real Voices of the Game production. I'm here today with our Day at the Yard Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, the stars of our show, Mark Wiley, Will George. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your producer and co-host of the show. We've got a great guest today, uh, fantastic bio, tremendous background, and I wish I had recorded the banter before the show. It could have been a podcast in itself. Uh, we'll appreciate the, the little bit of music we had there uh, before. Didn't play the whole thing. Uh, but a little piece of Jack McDowell's uh, recent song that he put out on YouTube. We played it yesterday on his podcast that's out there today. just want to thank Jack for contributing to that. We did not play the whole song, though. Um, but, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, got a quick announcement for our audience. Then, Mark, I'll let you introduce our great guest today. Um, to our 10,000, we're over, we're over 10,300 subscribers now. Uh, we appreciate our fans and our audience. You guys are doing great, helping us keep this program going. Uh, remember to, after the show, download listen, like, subscribe. And if you want to write stuff to us, we love it. Good or bad, we'll, we'll read it. Um, for today's show now, episode 107 with our pitching show here. And if you want to support the show and continue to see uh, Mark and Will give us quality product, we do it ad-free and sponsorship-free so we can be straight content. Go to patreon.com. You can donate directly to their show uh, to make sure they can keep the quality coming your way without interruptions of ads and sponsorships. So with that, uh, Mark and Will, welcome back. Everybody always loves your guys' uh, show. And uh, Mark, we'll let you introduce our guest today. All right. We're, we're really happy to have John Weil, who I was lucky enough and Will was lucky enough to work with with the Rockies. Um, we have a history going way back, which I'll get to. But uh, the first, first thing I wanted to mention was uh, John's educational background. He uh, has a Bachelor of Business uh business management at the University of Florida, and he has a master's in uh, of science and sports management from Nova Southeastern University. Um, first time I ever saw John was uh, in 1997. Um, he was a bat boy for the world champion Mar Florida Marlins in 1997, and uh, I will go on to a story about that coming up. Um, he was with them in 96 and 97, uh, he became a uh, area scout with supervisor with Kansas City Royals from 2001 to 2005. From 2005 to 2007, he was the manager of minor league operations for the Colorado Rockies. 2007-2009, manager of professional scouting for the Rockies. And in 2009 and 2000, 2014, he was director of professional scouting for the Rockies. From there, he became... In 2014 to 21, he became assistant general manager and director of player personnel for the Rockies. And then in 2022, he, uh, till, till now, he is still the uh, special assistant to the general manager of the Washington Nationals. Um, John's been involved with some really good ball clubs. In 97, of course, they won, they won the World Series with the Marlins. 2007, he was part of the Rockies front office when uh, – when won the National League Championship, 2009, 2017, 2018, he was a part of the Rockies organization that went to the wild card. Um, you know, John's just a tremendous person. Uh, anybody in baseball recognizes that. And, uh, you know, we're just really glad to have you, John. And we got some, I'm sure we've got some good questions and good stories to come on. 
Thanks, Mark. Um, really happy to be on here with you guys. And you guys have both been uh, both our dear friends and mentors to me in the game. And just this is this is fun. Yeah, we we uh, you know, I wanted to start out by by talking about you as a bad boy. Um, I will say this, that uh, there's been some other established major league people like yourself that were bat boys that people don't really know. And I've researched it. There may be more of them, but the ones I've researched is Joe McDonald. Uh, he was a bat boy for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he's been a multiple he's, – he's been a general manager multiple times, Detroit and uh, the Mets. And and Renee Latchman, who's been a manager for years, he was, he was with the Dodgers as a bat boy. Um, and he's been a manager and coach for, for what, 30, 40 years. Uh, Steve Garvey, which I didn't realize had been a bat boy for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and we all know how good a player Steve was. Uh, Drew Storen was a bat boy for the Cincinnati Reds and later played for multiple teams in the major leagues. And Jesse Listash, um, uh, play, he was a bat boy for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and was a, a really good major league player. So, you know, it's funny, you know, you don't think about these things. You know, you always hear about stories of, of guys that grew up with players and they both got to the major leagues, but you, you don't hear as much about the bat boys that ended up achieving things in baseball. Now, can you give us a little background on how you became a bat boy and some of your best memories? Cause I've heard some of your really good stories. Um, yeah, you know, I've obviously, you know, we all start out in this game, whether, whether you're a big leaguer for 20 years, a hall of famer, an executive a scout, or an usher, you know, we're all fans of the game. That's how you start, right? So um, I grew up in South Florida uh, watching the Marlins in 1993 um, when they first started um, in the inception of the club. I was 15 years old, and I'd watch these bat boys down the lines playing catch with the big leaguers, and I'd see them behind the plate. And um, I said to my dad, who uh, was my ultimate mentor in life, uh, my late father, I said to him, hey, how do I get down there? How do I become one of these bat boys? And he said, uh, I don't know. That's a hard job. You don't want to do it. So the next year goes by and I said, hey, I really want to be. I mean, I can't believe this guy. They're playing catch with Gary Sheffield and 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 every left fielder in the game. And they're running around. And I mean, how do I get in the dugout? And he says, uh, you don't want to do that. That's a, that's a big job. And so one morning he, he was sitting down at the kitchen table um, reading the Miami Herald. And he says, see, let me show you here. They did a whole expose on bat boys. And he looks down uh, at the paper and he shows it to me. He says, they're there for 12 hours. You can't do this anymore, probably um, labor law wise, but they're there for 12 hours. You know, they don't make any money and they, you know, they're, they're polishing shoes. They're doing laundry. They're doing all. And he says, you don't want to do that. I said, yes, I do. And he says, well, all right, well, I'm tired of hearing it. You need to go down and ask the bat boy next year how he got the job. So I went down and um, mustered up the courage to ask this kid how he got his job. And he said, you got to write a letter to the equipment manager. And I wrote a letter and I had a very short resume because there's not much on there for a 17 year old senior in high school. And I said to him uh, uh, in the resume, you know, I've got a passion for the game. I'd love to do it. Long story short, one of my references on my short resume was Allard Baird, um, who at the time, I believe, was uh, assistant GM with the Kansas City Royals, who um, used to give me hitting lessons as a kid. And uh, so he knew Mike Wallace, who was the equipment manager who made the hire. 
And so that helped me. And I went into the stadium and I interviewed with Mike in the locker room, the clubhouse of the Marlins. And it was just about the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. They got, you know, Terry Pendleton's jerseys hanging. You've, you, you know, I mean, I was just, I lost my mind and I said, I don't want to mess this up. And fortunately I got it. And, um, that was 96, 97, the two best, two of the most memorable baseball years I've ever had. I mean, the majority of us don't get to play in the big leagues and even scouts, they really don't know, um, what it's like the grind at the major league level and what it becomes to what, what you have to do, what the mentality is, the physical tools of a big leaguer. I think all of those things with these guys taking ground balls with them, turning double plays with them, all the pregame stuff that they allowed me to do really showed me the difference between skills and tools and, and helped me in my, in, in, in starting a base and foundation for evaluation. That's great. The, uh, did, uh, the, the story I was going to tell was the 97 World Series, and actually John had a picture. I don't know how you got that picture, but he had a picture of him in the outfield talking to Oral Hershiser, and I was standing there, and I looked like I was very impatient while he was talking to him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're uh, – I can't remember what game it was, but we're in the World Series, and it's the, the atmosphere is tight. And um, – and at that time I was, I, I, I promised I would get an autograph for, which I usually didn't do, but Oral Hershiser, and I just had to get it done. And so I ran out during, um, visitors BP. So we had already hit. So I ran out during visitors BP and I'm in my Marlin stuff and I'm the only guy in the Marlin stuff. I run out and, um, Oral is talking to this big burly strapping young man, coach by the name of yeah. Mark Wiley. And, uh, I didn't know who he was. And nor at that time I didn't care because I'm 17, 18. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get this guy's autograph and take care of it. So I interrupted their pregame meeting. And, uh, you know, my biggest fan was my mother who was taking pictures because it was the World Series. So she happened to snap a shot of me interrupting the pregame pitch pitching meeting between the big league pitching coach in the World Series and the all-star <laughs> right-hander. And, uh, I remember, I remember kind of the, the guy, the coach being sort of pissed off. And, but I was like, you know what? I got one shot at this. And so years later I'm going through old pictures and I realized that the guy that I sort of pissed off was my dear friend and mentor, Mark Wiley. <laughs> and so Mark was in my office years later and I showed him the picture and, uh, there it was. But, um, I don't know. Mark still talks to me, so I think I'm all right. But we did win the World Series, Mark. Yeah. I know. Did you? you and Will will not let me forget that. The 11th inning of the seventh game, which was one of the more dramatic finishes of a World Series, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> and one of our early guests was pitching, Charlie Nagy, who I coached, and it was mixed emotions. But, John, didn't you tell me that you told Oral that Sheffield and Alou couldn't hit fastballs? Yeah, I said just, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, just you know, really, if you just lay one over, they can't. The whole lineup really can't hit. Right, um, they can't hit four seam fastballs down the middle, especially yeah. if they're like ninety miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. You can, so just, just work on that early and often is what I told them. 
That's what you were. T- you weren't getting an autograph. You were just setting Nora up. I can see that. Yeah, I said. I said. To, you know, I said make sure you tell Nagy that. Um, you know, he's going to lay one out there for Edgar at the end of the game. He's he's got no chance to roll over every time. John, during that early time, you know, obviously you're 17, 18, your baseball days are ahead of you. Are there things that you learned in terms of dealing with players or or preparation that you take to your game today, uh, that you take to your job today, I should say? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the – the thing that we the thing that we learn in scouting is you know you initially start scouting tools right so tools are things you can't teach athleticism um, you know power strength you can you can grow those things but a lot of those are innate right and what I learned was by taking ground balls with these guys I was a pretty skilled South Florida player now I didn't have big league ability and what I recognized was they did everything the same way I did they fielded the ground balls the same way I did. They threw with the same arm action I did. They um, had the same mechanical breakdown of swings, give or take, that I did. The difference was they hit the ball harder than any player I've ever seen in BP. They would knock me down. They, you know, I remember um, taking ground balls next to Greg Graybeck, um, and uh, he was a little guy. So, you know, I sort of felt on par with him until I realized that we had the same mechanical um, reception of the baseball in the infield, but I missed balls and he never missed a ball. And so you realize the skill level of those players is what you're developing from the minor leagues on up. Um, but you got to start with tools. And so I learned that from a physical perspective, um, the difference between, um, you know, the men amongst boys with big leaguers, as well as the mental breakdown of a player, um, the, the, the necessity of having clubhouse leaders, um, I think what's lost on the game more than ever in today's day of um, an objective look is the subjective nature of a clubhouse environment, you know, and, um, you know, it takes if you have a, a can of white paint and you put just the little bit, bit of uh, red paint in there and a drop of red paint and you mix it around in that particular proverbial clubhouse. Now you've got this beautiful pink color. And if you put the wrong um, ingredient into that paint color, you're going to lose all your color. You may never get it back. So um, I think that's what I learned. And, you know, Will was instrumental um, in bringing in, uh, recommending to David Dombrowski at that time. Um, I heard from afar. I actually wasn't involved in big league conversations as a bat boy, as you'd imagine. But, um, you know, I'm bringing in Darren Dalton. And when we got Darren Dalton in the clubhouse, that's when I learned what changes, you know, the overall elixir of, of a winning clubhouse. And, you know, you know, Dutch was a winning player. He came in, he had um, a calm confidence about him. He was tough. Um, We had a lot of uh, players there from my perspective that were great stars, but they were missing the cohesiveness a little bit from my vantage point. You know, there was, there, there was a little bit of me guys, and that's natural when you have superstars. But when you get a guy at the end of his career who's been a leader, who's won, who doesn't have anything to prove other than to win, he really put the screws to some guys and got everybody playing as a team. And, you know, that's when I learned, you know, off the field, the importance of that in a clubhouse. Even if that player isn't isn't a superstar himself, he could get the most out of those around him. And I think we're missing that 
in this game right now. We're missing the understanding of that. It's it's not just X's of X's and O's. There's a real subjective um, nature and uh, nuance to to what what brings a winning club together. Can you give an example of a Dutch intervention? Um, you know, they say that you know what happens in the clubhouse should stay in the clubhouse, and even the. Um, let's just say that, uh, you know, you know, they kicked the bat boys out for the, for the players only meetings and rightfully so, but, um, he might have, uh, grabbed a couple superstars and threw them up against the wall and said, this is how we're going to play from now on or else. That's what I heard. I wasn't, I wasn't privy to watching that, but I think that happened on a couple occasions and I think everybody respected him for it. And at the end, you know, when, when uh, everybody was celebrating, you know, he was he was at the forefront and everybody was was, you know, really supportive of Dutch and everything that he did. And um, and that's important. He did it with the Phillies. He did it with the Marlins. I think Dave had a great read on that. Will had a great read on that. And, uh, you know, we're all the beneficiaries of 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 that. And I am from from a standpoint of being a, a young baseball guy learning um, and, and seeing what players are made of. No fair yeah. You know, John, you know, I think it's uh, accountability every day, and that's what leadership brings. And, you know, with us in Colorado, we did it in 08 and 09 when we brought J- Jason Giambi in. Mm-hmm. And, and the same type of impact, not in an everyday job, but in a, in a job where he just made everyone in that clubhouse accountable. And, right. uh, you know, you know, what it did for us in 09, my gosh, we turned it around and that was a really good team that could have went deep into the playoffs, but that was at the height at the, of the Phillies being the best team in baseball probably at that time too. No doubt, no doubt between him. And then you've got, you got other guys that were, you know, at that time sort of role quasi starter players like Ryan Spielborgs, um, yeah, who, does, yeah. who does MLB Network. Right. Um, you know, what he brought to that club was levity and, and, you know, and then different leaders bring different things. You know, you don't have to be an out there superstar. You don't have to be um, a rah-rah guy. You bring different things. I mean, DJ LeMay, who brought things on a day-to-day basis, but DJ never talked. I mean, DJ is not a, he's not a vocal guy. And from a front office perspective, I mean, we really didn't, didn't see what he brought, but I know who did see what he brought, which was Jim Tracy. And on Jim, Jim Tracy on his way out, you know, we were talking and he said, he said, John, whatever you do, find more guys like DJ LeMahieu. And then, and then that's when we lead by, that's lead by example, right, John? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the effect he had on players, you know, was evident when he left the club, um, you know, after, after 2018, when he left, I mean, we, we lost a real, a real um, juggernaut of a, of a, of a lead by example guy, you know? So um, it just depends on uh, on the type of leader, but you got to find them, and that's what scouts, good scouts, do. That's what you know. Some of the metrics don't tell you. You, you know, the metrics tell you the tools and the skills and the repeatability of those. And the, those are all unbelievable things that we can measure. But nobody was measuring the impact that DJ would have on our lineup, us included. Um, you know, at that time, all the way through. Um, you know, what he's done with the Yankees. I mean, there was one club that was in on DJ LeMahieu and that was the Yankees and Jim Hendry, who's a tremendous evaluator. Um, and that's because he knew him. He knew him with the Cubs. And so, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta know the players. Your evaluators have to know the players. That's what's going to separate good front offices and good teams 
is is the whole package, not just half the package. Yeah, I remember reading it when Dallas Green went over to the Cubs from the Phillies, and they asked they asked him why he got Sandberg over from the Phillies to. He said because, and he was one of those example play by you know he wasn't a vocal guy, but he said he's the one guy I know would play every day. We play a lot of day games, and he yeah. said I knew he'd be ready every day during just from what I saw in the minor leagues of the Phillies, and yeah. that's why he picked him up. So there's like you said, there's knowledge that these front office people have about players. They know their personalities. They they know the impact they have on other players, even if it's not vocal. Yeah, yeah. That it's the X factor. Um, and and uh, you know, and in, in when I was running the pro department in Colorado, we call it the fifty one percent, which is that 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 which tips the scales, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, everybody's a good player. Everybody's a good player in professional level in the minor leagues. Everybody, just about everybody, throws ninety five, but. But okay, so the things that separate those players are skill level. Where can you put that ball? What angle do you have? Um, what life do you have on your fastball? The command you have, the, the pitchability, the know-how, the mix, the ability to not have fear. These are things that a lot of those things you can't measure. You know, um, intent, intent behind throwing a fastball. You could throw one fastball at 96 with the same analytical metrics. In my opinion, you could throw them with the exact same analytical metrics from the same release point, same release height, same vertical break, same everything. And one guy believes in that pitch and he knows and the other and the hitter unconsciously will 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 smell that fear. And more often than not, the guy who believes will have success. And that can be developed, as you guys know more than me as coaches. But, you know, as evaluators, that's what we're looking for, you know, intent and um, you know, how hard a guy plays and these are controllables. Those, those things are controllables and, and, uh, the mental makeup is, is something that we'll never get a handle on, but that's just something that what makes it fun. You're always going to try to chip away and, and find the, find the edge. Well, you know, there's, there's, you made some good comments about, you know, all those factors that you, you look for when you're scouting. And, you know, there's one other one that I think if you've got any ideas on is, uh, roles, because I know that if you put a guy in the right role, sometimes that builds the confidence, that builds his ability to be invested in his pitches. Um, you know, have you have you had anything where you've had a guy where you've recommended a change of a role, maybe? Yeah, you know, um, I, I was very fortunate, very fortunate, as all three of us were, to work for Dan O'Dowd. Um, Dan, um, might be the, you know, the most demanding general manager at the time in baseball, but with that comes a certain level of expectancy and, um, responsibility and accountability that he holds you to that makes you better. Um, it's, it's like, it's like tough parenting. It's not easy when you go through it, but once you've gone through it, you realize how much you've learned. Um, and, and he was amazing to develop me and Dan gave, me a lot of belief. Um, he had a lot of belief in me and gave me a lot of belief in myself. So Dan would have me see our system and he would have me write up our entire minor league system with the Rockies. And in doing so, he also wanted me to look at things from a scout's perspective and where could our guys best profile. So an example of that was we traded for um, Charlie Culberson 
and um, we traded Marco Scudero for Charlie Culberson. At that time, Charlie Culberson was a kind of a stalled first rounder in the minor leagues and um, still had some pedigree to him. So he goes to Colorado Springs and I watched him play and dance as I want to know, you know, again, what we can do with all these players and um, what would maximize their value for us and or in a trade. So Charlie at that time was um, second base only. And I watched him play second. And I said, listen, we're putting a lot of pressure on the bat here because if he doesn't hit, He's not a good enough defender to say that, you know, the glove is going to carry him in more of an offensive profile position. So I said, we've got to find versatility for this player in the National League. And I wrote up, I said, he's got to play short. He's got to play center. He's got to play both corners. He's got to play third. And now you have a real super utility guy that'll that'll provide value because he's a 70 runner. So it's a well above average runner. He In that type of a role, he could swing the bat plenty enough. you know, he, he wasn't super rangy, but he caught what he got to at second and at short and at center field, the athleticism played up. So he was tracking balls down. So the next thing you know, he's, he's playing everywhere. And he's, I think he's still playing. Uh, he, he's probably going to play somewhere this year if, if he hasn't signed already. So, um, you know, you've got to find the right place for each guy. Um, you know, as you guys know, a lot of times there are so many guys that were starters in college. They come up as starters as, as minor league pitchers, but they might have two quality pitches as opposed to three. And so you develop them as starters and you might envision them more as um, one to two inning, you know, one, two knockout punches. And, um, you know, um, or you also look at this, the overall profile of the guy, for instance, Scott Oberg, he could really spin the ball. Rocky's, um, reliever that just retired uh, this year. I saw him in a ball. And then one of the things I put down was um, he needs a slider, even though the, the, the breaking ball was at least plus he could, he had such a knack for it, but was a top down big breaking ball. And it was a tough pitch to control in the zone and get to get strike calls on. So still have that in his pocket, but shorten it down, tighten it down as my mentor, Mark, uh, Mark uh, Wiley taught me, if you tighten it down, you get it in the zone more consistently. And now all of a sudden, you know, Scotty Oberg at one point in time had one of the better sliders going in the game, you know, once, once he took to it. So stuff like that. And that's what makes the game fun is you can prolong guys' careers. You can get the most out of your players by thinking outside the box. And um, so it's, uh, it's, it's all, it's all creative, good stuff. Yeah, I, you know, um, one of the things, you know, is the longer you stay in the game and you watch really good teams and really good managers and coaches, they put players in the position to be successful in their roles. They give them the confidence to do their job. They tell them what they expect from them. And then you see them, that player grow. You know, you know, you, you know, you, you see a guy who's an everyday player an everyday player on a good team hitting seventh, you don't want to put him in and bat him third on a second division team. You want to keep him, you know, where he had his success. And, you know, he's a better player in a deeper lineup. Or And, and like you said, you know, John, I think going back when we acquired Jeremy Affeld, he was a starting pitcher with a plus curveball and a plus fastball. And we, we had the, the wherewithal to move him to the bullpen and he became a very good late inning left-hander with those two pitch mix. So, 
you know, you, you, you watch that over your career in the game and you realize really smart managers and coaches put their players in the best position to be successful. Absolutely. That's like, um, it's, it's like managing anybody, right? If you're in a position of leadership, whether it's in business, whether it's a big league manager, whether it's a minor league manager, whether it's a high school coach, it's your job to get the most out of your employee or out of your player or out of whatever it might be that you're in a position of leadership. To me, a position of leadership is not about you. And too often when leaders get titles and they work their butts off to get those titles and they work their butts off to be in positions to be a big league manager, it becomes all about them. And the minute it becomes all about them is you lose, you lose, you lose your people. Um, You know, the more, the more leadership that you gain, the more selfless you need to become um, to put everybody in position to have success. You're already the guy, right? You're already the leader. Now, in order, your job is to get everybody to perform at a high level in whatever your job of leadership might be. Well, put people in the right positions, motivate them, inspire them, lead them to get the most out of what they do. I mean, I think too often we, we, we focus on what players can't do as opposed to what players can do. We focus on what individuals in a workplace can't do as opposed to what they can do. And we want to eliminate because that's easier on us instead of getting the very most out of our people and find everybody's got a God-given gift and a skill. It's up to the leader, the manager, the supervisor to pull that out of them. And I think that's how you really get a cohesive unit of whatever, whatever you're leading. You know, we watched firsthand this year, it happened in Philadelphia and, and it wasn't that Joe Girardi was a bad manager, um, but the players that they had, Robbie Thompson ended up being a better fit and he came in and got some of their younger players going through a different approach and you end up going, wow, that team was nine games under 500 and they came within, you know, two or three wins of winning the World Series last year and what an impact that made on that team. Another another great read by, by a tremendous by gentleman. David, by David. Yeah. He knew that he he knew that Robbie was going to be a better fit for that group of players that they yeah. had. Yeah, you I'm know, player, you know, for me, um, leaders. I think there's a, there's a quote somewhere. I'll have to look it up, but it's about being able. To, you're willing to do what you're asking your your people to do. You're willing to do it yourself, and when you project that whether you're actually doing it or not, they know that you've got their back, that you understand how hard it is, what they're doing. And that's how you build chemistry within an organization, whatever, whether it be business or whatever, is that there's caring and that you're willing to get your hands dirty too. Um, Unfortunately, in today's world, it's too much about me. Just like you said, when it becomes about me, that's when you have real problems of leadership. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, and, and, and if you, if you put yourself on a leadership pedestal, if you, you know, for me in a, in a, in a running a pro scouting role, you know, if you, if you're sitting in the box, then this is just me. You're not, you're not seeing things. You're not getting better. You're, you're, you're not 
um, rubbing elbows with other scouts that you can get quality information that'll help you. Um, if you're, if you're not doing that, you're doing your club a disservice. And it's, and for me, it's more about being in the box than it is about being great at your job. If you love your job, you want to be down with everyone else because that's all you are. You're, you're, you are the way I looked at it when I was assistant general manager, I'm just a, I'm just an evaluator. I'm another set of eyes. I just happen to have an office in Coors Field. Um, I think when you see people that they're, they're just more interested in, in the flash and the glamour, well, you know, that's what you're going to yield. Um, some of my best memories and I've had tremendous, the game's been unbelievable to me, you know, with world series and, you know, and, and champagne dumped on your head and all those things. Some of my best memories in baseball are scouting the fall league and scouting 10 hours a day with my guys and going up to the room and, and, and recapping the day and talking about family and, um, you know, getting in fellowship and getting to know players and, and, and getting to know, uh, my people rather. And, and, and that's how we became such a cohesive unit as a pro scouting department, as Will could attest to, it, it was about people. And when you get away from that, you lose a whole, a whole nother, um, element of, of what, is really rewarding in, in, in the game of baseball. And that's the people, I mean, wins and losses come and go great seasons, but, but do you have good people with integrity? Do you do things the right way? Do you support each other? Do you have each other's back? Is it, is it about loyalty? Do you pick up people that need to get picked up? And those are those, those to me are the most memorable, um, things I have looking back at, uh, you know, at my leadership roles. You know, John, I before you came on, I told Dave and I've told Mark this, that, you know, I've had the pleasure to watch you mature into who you are now as a baseball person, but as a father, as a as a husband as, and as a dear friend. And um, that's why you are so good. And I think that uh, someday someone will recognize that. And I believe that you could be a tremendous general manager. And I think people that listen to this will realize that you had such a strong leadership and passion for your job and did it extremely well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think uh, the, the Washington nationals are really lucky. They, they, they grabbed you before somebody else did. Um, you know, you scouted at every level. Um, you know, and what message do you have for parents that are like consumed with thinking their parents, their play, their children are uh, professional players or pro- talent? Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. So uh, my first year scouting uh, full time, my first year full time scouting was the year uh, 2002, the fall of fall of 01 into spring of 02. And um I fell in love with this right-hander beginner's luck. Uh, Cause I won't tell you about all the players I missed on that year too. Um, the, the, the one I got right was this uh, right-hander out of uh, Collierville, Tennessee um, by the name of Matt Kane. And uh, I, I was the first home visit in his house. I just, I absolutely fell in love with him. And again, it was probably sun shining on a dog's butt, but um, I, I, I walked into his house and I spoke with Matt and his, mom and his dad and his grandmother, and they were all there. And, you know, it's, it's a similar story you get, right. You know, we always knew Matt was going to be special, or if I'm even at another person's house, we always knew 
uh, so and so was going to be a special because they, you know, they picked up the bat, the wiffle ball bat when they were two and they were watching the TV, you know, like the Tiger Woods story, right? And uh, we always knew that this player was going to be special. In Matt Kane's case, well, yeah, they were right. So then I go out and scout, uh, I believe it was, I was at, um, oh, I can't remember the name, uh, Germantown High School. And there was one of the kids on the team's father started talking to me. I was there scouting and he said, uh, you know, I always knew little Joey was going to be a big leaguer. And, you know, ever since he was two, you know, it was the proverbial, uh, he picked up the wiffle ball bat and looked at TV and I just knew. And this kid is on the bench for Germantown High School. He doesn't even play and, and he's going to be a big leaguer. So everybody sees stars when they see their kids and they all think their kids is the best thing that ever existed, the best player. Um, the reality of it is, is I, I will tell parents, let them have fun. Let them play with joy. Let them enjoy the game. The more they can do that, the more their innate talent is going to shine through. And scouts, college coaches, there, there's no excuse for missing a player anymore. I mean, you know, when back, back when we played, you know, there, there really wasn't any, there weren't showcases and emails and, you know, going out and perfect game profiles. You can't be missed nowadays because there's too many moneymakers out there. Right. And if you sign up for enough of them, someone's going to see you. And not that you have to do that. If you are talented, you will be found. Um, so let them have fun. Let them play the game they love. Don't suck the joy out of the game because of your own living vicariously. Just enjoy it. Keep it soft. Keep it light. Tell them to work hard. Tell them to get good grades. The rest will take care of itself. And if it doesn't, the reality of it is in an accountable world, they weren't good enough. That's the bottom line. The end of the road is always the end of the road, whether you pitched in the big leagues like you did, Mark, whether you we're on your track to pitch in the big leagues like Will was before he blew out his shoulder or whether you're like me and it's just the end of the road after your freshman year of college, things are going to end for you and you have to prioritize your choices beyond that. And uh, so just enjoy the game and let things fall where they fall. Great advice. That's great advice. And, you know, you, I totally agree with Will on the fact that, you know, we need you as a general manager of a major league team. Um, you know, I'm old school. Um, you understand some of the nuances, some of the new things that are being brought into baseball much better than I do. But you have an appreciation from the history of the game, you know, from the days that you were a bat boy to being friends with people that, who were involved in, in major leagues for 40, 50 years. Uh, you have an appreciation for all viewpoints. Um, and that's what we need in the game today. You know, I mean, you mentioned Allard Baird, and I know he was a tremendous mentor to you. And I worked with Allard in Kansas City, and there's not a finer person there is. And it's just absurd to me that he's not a general, high-profile general manager with somebody. He was one at one time with Kansas City when he first got his first shot. But he's been helping teams be championship teams for years now. Um, he should be a general manager as you should be. We need people like you guys to become general managers in baseball. You know what you do? You, you, you control the controllables. And, you know, for me, 
Um, as long as I have the opportunity to, to give to this game that I love in any capacity, um, I get to put my opinion on players. Um, that doesn't mean they have to be listened to, and that's okay too. Um, but every day that you are able to show up and go to a ballpark and um, whether it's evaluation or whether it's give the best you can in a front office, um, as long as it's not about you, and you get to, to, to come together as a team for a common goal. I mean, that's all that matters. I think at the end of the day, you know, um, life is, is, is not about the, you know, the end goal and, um, it's about, it's about a process. Um, and so, you know, you, you, I certainly have never worried about things like that. I've always enjoyed whatever job I was in did to the best of my ability. And, um, you know, but I, I'm flattered. I'm absolutely flattered that you would say that. Well, it's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that, you know, you've kind of hit on this, but maybe we could bring it up again. Um, if you were to describe what you'd want in a player after all your scouting, um, other than talent, what would be some of your, you know, major important issues? You want to, you know, I think, I think what even, I mean, there's so many things that minor league players don't realize that we're looking at. I mean, that, that veteran evaluators are looking at guys that have been in the game long enough where the game slows down a little bit. Um, you know, when I first started, the game was going so fast, I was lucky to fill in the boxes with the tools and now I can slow it down. It's, it's not any easier. It's hard to evaluate, but, um, I tell you, you know, they don't realize that we're watching body language. I mean, I get to the ballpark before the players get out there and that's half because I just love being at a ballpark. So I get there early. But I watch every single player. I watch how they interact um, with their teammates. I watch if they're all about them. I watch if they're um, how hard they work, how what they do to prepare. Um, again, all of these things are factors that don't show up in any Statcast data, and so so that's what you need to color your evaluations of your Statcast data of your tool evaluation. You know, yeah, I like this guy, but he's all about him. I saw a high profile guy. This year, uh, get demoted from the major leagues um, down to the big leagues to work on his hitting, and he never took batting practice six days in a row um, because he chose not to. I'm out. I got no interest. Um, and he decided he was going to throw um, not with his teammates. He was going to warm up um, down somewhere else, and one of his teammates called him out on that, which was awesome. Um, but you know, he was too big time for his teammates. I'm out. I got no interest in that guy, uh, in, in a recommendation. I'm not putting my name on that guy. That guy has all the talent in the world. He has all-star ability and I have no interest. So, you know, it's time to, um, you know, take accountability for yourselves as players and know what, it's not just what you do to perform, to get to, that's going to sustain major league success. It's how you do it. It's why you do it. And, and you need to have those come to Jesus conversations with yourself as a player um, and, and know that evaluators are looking for things that aren't just tools. You know, that's, you know, it's amazing because that's a perfect example. We talked earlier about guys that had tremendous impacts on teams. Um, you just told a story that showed what a negative impact he had. I applaud the guy that had to call him out for playing catch with a a bat boy or something down the side, but that took away from that guy that have to say that to him. 
So that took away from the chemistry of the club just by the fact that his teammates had to address something negative. And right. you're exactly right. I love your analogy with the paint. You know, you, and I'll take it one step further. Like you said, if you, you have white paint and you put black paint in it and it gets gray and it gets nasty, and that's exactly what happens when these kind of guys are around. And that's why scouts are so important. Opinions of baseball people are so important because they have these, these opinions that can paint a great picture of of what you're looking for. I, I you know, I always laugh because I, you know, you, you and Will and I have all got out and seen amateur scout. I mean, outs or amateur players, and you know, they all have these advisors, agents. You know, um, I'm always astounded when somebody has a agent, a, maybe a high-profile agent, the kid's going to be a high-profile pick, maybe in the first round, and he's doing body language that's ridiculous. He's losing millions of dollars every time he goes out there because us scouts come in, we go, do you see how the guy dropped his head just because the guy got a hit off of him? You see the guy yelling at the umpire? It amazes me if these advisors don't teach these guys how to act. Hell, they're going to make money off the guy. It's amazing. So when I know they have a high profile agent and they're doing these things, that really sends a message that this yeah. kid's probably, you probably can't get to him. You know, you know on the, uh, on, say, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say what, what we always say is, you know, what you're doing when, when nobody's watching or when you think nobody's watching well, scouts see all this stuff. I see the guy that shows up early to the ballpark because we're there early. I see him passionately taking batting practice or working on his mechanics. You know, you see a guy that pumps his teammate up and roots for him. Um, you know that guy, um, I'll give you a perfect example. One of the last guys I saw, the guy, is it Manaya? The guy that's a pitcher for Toronto. No, Manoa. Manoa. He's a freaking defensive end in the NFL. That's how big this guy is. I went to Texas and watched him pitch. This guy was the best cheerleader. This guy was the freaking passionate about the game. He was unbelievable. Not only did he have all the talent, you know, he's got to be one of the best teammates just, just from yeah. observing from the stands, I could tell. And look what he's become. You know, yeah. so these are – you know, I guess what I'm saying is when you do it when nobody's looking or you think nobody's looking, that means you have that personal pride that you have something in you in you that's different than other people, that you really care. You know, I'll give you an example on the other end. And John was uh, our pro scouting director. Alec Bohm got sent down by the Phillies in 2021. And I was going up to Lehigh Valley that day to start watching their club. And I got to the ballpark early and here he was the day he got sent down, he drove from Philadelphia and he's taking ground balls, taking balls in the outfield, played his ass off for the whole series, ended up getting recalled and working hard, had a little bit of a tough start this year, but he was a big part of their success. And it makes you realize that, you know, you know, you had him as a chance to be an above-average major league player. He's a first-round pick, but he cares and he works hard. And that's why he ended up 
turning his season around this year and hopefully turning his career around and ended up being a very, very good, you know, everyday major league player. John, I've got one for you that ties into Will and Mark here. We've had John for almost an hour and it's easy to see why you guys say he's going to be a great general manager. I I would agree as well, but uh, John, this is for you. And then Will and Mark jump in and, you know, you're talking about body language. How closely do you guys correlate body language, positive or negative, to a kid's mental toughness? I think it depends. It's case to case. Um, I think if a guy's got bad body language, it's up to the evaluator to to first see that and then and then ask questions and dig in and ask why. You know, I mean, you know, these the other thing is is these guys are people. They're not robots. And their performance, whether it be data-driven or tool-driven or performance-driven or whatever we're evaluating, isn't necessarily indicative of just, you know, where, the, where their skill set's at. I mean, you know, these guys break up with girlfriends. They lose grandparents. They lose, and, and they lose sleep at night because of these things. They don't always arrive at the ballpark ready to go. The, I'll tell you this. Um, what I learned in, in – in, you guys, at least, you know, Mark being a big league pitching coach for, you know, close to 20 years. Um, you know, I learned the big leagues from a bat boy perspective. And then when I was traveling with the team as assistant general manager, I learned the grind that these guys have to go through. And I, and, and quite frankly, I wasn't even writing reports. I mean, it's, it's harder to watch a minor league team in a minor league city because you got to grind and write those reports. I'm just traveling along with the team, talking to the manager, you know, it's as cush of a of a assignment as you can get as you're you're with the club, and it's a grind for me. So you know guys like Charlie Blackman who have to you know come off of an O for five, um, and then you know or so and so might have an off field problem that we know about. They still have to show up at three in the morning after their game, and so the physical grind, the mental grind. So when you see bad body language, all right, well, before you write a player off or make assumptions, why is it like that? Is it because it's all about him or is it because, you know, there might be something else going on? And then so much like a detective, you know, before you put your name one way or the other, you better have all the answers that you can have, the best that you can have um, so that you're giving your club, you know, the best chance at, at acquiring the best player. So it's case to case for me. Yeah, that's very well said. Uh, Will, you had one last question. Yeah, you know, just, you know, an indication of uh, John's hard work and uh, not, you know, uh, never leaving any stone unturned. Uh, He was the assistant GM and uh, Daniel Bard was working out locally in Arizona uh, prior to spring training. And John, I'll let you tell the background of the story, but, you know, you know, your, your hard work, what that brought to the Colorado Rockies for the last, uh, what, four years now? Yeah. So, um, that, that, this story, you know, is, is a highlight in my, uh, Rolodex of, of, of positive things that I've been able to contribute to, um, another person's life and Daniel's life, who's a, tremendous human being, but I didn't know Daniel Bard from anything other than, you know, what he was, um, in his years with Boston and, you know, coming up as an amateur. But, um, I got, um, Mike Milchin, uh, his, his agent who is, is fiercely, fiercely competitive and, um, and really, really a good, 
um, representative for his players in, in, in any way that, uh, that he can be. He calls me and he says, uh, I'm in spring training. We don't have anybody down there yet because it's early. It's February. He says, hey, you're never going to believe this, but Daniel Bard is trying to make a comeback. Well, I was, you know, he was in another league. I wasn't that familiar. It's been, he'd been tolling around in the minor leagues for some years. He was a, he was a mental skills coach for the last two previous seasons with the, the D-backs. And he said the D-backs passed on him. Um, he's throwing bullpens. Let me send you a video. Well, he sends me a video and, and it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm going. He says, can you send a scout there? I said, we have no scouts. I said, I'm going. He says, you'll go. And I go, yeah, I mean, I'm a scout. I'm an extension of the department. So we go down to, I think it was Chaparral High School. And uh, I go, it's not, you know, uh, it was just me. I, I pop over there. Quite frankly, I was glad to get out of the office. And um, there's a ton of guys there. I mean, um, you know, really good, good evaluators are, are, are there. And, you know, I, I uh, start watching them. He's taken, you know, he's got his big league warm ups. You know, it's taken a long time. Everyone's sort of going, okay, man, let's go. And uh, he gets on the mound. He looks like he's 25, 26 years old and he's in his mid 30s. And he starts throwing, and his arm is just as loose and electric as I've seen. And I was sitting there next to Kendall Carter with the Yankees and just kind of, I didn't even take notes. I just had my gun up and we were just BSing and a little bit of poker face. Um, but inside I was like, holy cow. And it was just, he's just ripping balls in there at 92 to 95, but it wasn't the velocity. It was how the arm was working, how young an arm it looked. Um, the extension that he had, he ripped off a few sliders. No command was probably well below average, um, in the bullpen, but the, I mean, the guy, had, he's been a coach. So the end of the workout happens, I play it off. I'm like, all right, boys, we'll see you. And um, and, uh, just played it off. Like I didn't have a lot of interest in all the other scouts, particularly the younger guys the, that were there, um, just swarmed them like the paparazzi, you know, to ask all the questions, get all there. And I was in, fortunately in a position that I could pretty much make that call on my own at that time. So I had a leg up on that. I just left and, um, Milchin called me his agent and he said, how did he throw? And I said, effing electric. And that was, that was what I said. Um, and I said, it was just nasty. I said, if he throws that anywhere near the zone, he's getting outs. I don't care what ballpark it's in course field or, or elsewhere. And he said, okay. And I, so I went back and, um, we drafted a contract, a minor league contract with a big league invite. And, um, presented it to, to Mike and uh daniel because daniel is a man um and he's 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 a man of integrity and he's a grown-up he wanted to interview me so he called me and we had a conversation and i said listen i'm not going to promise you anything i said your stuff's electric i don't know where this is going to go but you're going to have a wide open door to take what you want and it's going to be up to you to perform and if you perform the sky's the limit for you and and he appreciated it because he was grown up and he has been humbled so much in his life throughout his career. He said, absolutely. So I thought, you know, we probably had a very low chance. He, I think he had 14 offers um, the first day, I think we were, we waited a couple days after that because we operated a little bit slower, but I was in touch with Mike and 
So I get a call a few days later in the hotel and it's Daniel. And Daniel said, I wanted to be the one, the first to tell you that I want to sign with you. And, um, so that was that. And he came into camp and, um, the rest is history. He was the comeback player of the year. Um, he is, um, a guy that everybody in baseball should be rooting for because he's a real special person. It's, it's a Disney movie in itself. Um, he, he should have been an all-star last year in my humble opinion. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a bright spot in a, uh, in a tough season for the Rockies last year and in 2021 and in 2020. And, um, there couldn't be, I, I couldn't wish more success, um, to a better person and family than Daniel Bard. That's a great story. That's a great way to, to close out our podcast today. And, and John, you could tell just by your, your voice as you're telling the story that not only did that touch you as a baseball man, but that's, that touched you as a man. And that those were genuine emotions. We, we appreciate you opening up like that on the show. Will and Mark, you guys bring it again. We, we, I'm always grateful that you bring quality people to the show. And, and as we talked before, quality attracts quality. Uh, another great guest. And John, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate the hour you gave us. It's going to touch a lot of kids out there, a lot of families, a lot of pro players, a lot of front office people. And if you ever uh, need an agent, you know two guys on this show that'll jump right at being your agent because they certainly yeah. gave a yeah, point. I, I would never hire them because their uh, their commission would be way too high. Way yeah, too they're, high. They're needy. <laughs> they are needy. But uh, guys, thanks again for the show. To our 10,000 plus subscribers now, thank you for making our show a success. We couldn't do it without you. Again, we keep it ad-free and sponsor-free. If you want to support Mark and Will, see them continue to bring on great guests like John Weil and uh, continue to do quality work here, don't be afraid to go to patreon.com and donate to their, their cause in this show. Also, remember to download, listen, like, subscribe, send us notes. We always respond. And uh, thanks again, guys, for a great show, and we'll see you next time. Great job, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. Magic's crap is so lame, but it's one, two, three hundred dogs who just ruined this game.